This is Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. All right, so welcome. Um, we're so excited for our second episode of the Corporate Tea Podcast. I'm, I'm really excited because today I get to have on someone really special, uh, someone I consider a brother from another mother, um, someone who is sort of a partner in crime in this body of work of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I'm going to read his bio and then we're going we're gonna to welcome him to the show uh, Eric Polite, uh, CDE, is the Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Canaries, a technology startup that leverages data to pinpoint DEI blind spots and drive lasting change through precise and measurable interventions. It is also the, he is also the founder of Eric Polite & Associates, a leadership development and talent optimization consultancy specializing in helping organizations grow their inclusive leadership capabilities and create the conditions for people to individually and collectively do their best work. And this fall, Eric will launch Wake Up and Lead, a unique community of practice designed for growth-minded managers who aspire to change their workplace and their world. Please welcome... There we go. Lights. How are you? I'm doing great. I never get used to bios. It always makes me blush. Maybe it's the introvert in me. I'm always like, oh boy, I, I did all that, but I'm I'm learning how to embrace it and sit in it. Like, yes, yes, um, to carry all that. <laughs> bios are hard to listen to, but they're like, I love bios because it's like giving you your flowers while you're yes. alive. <laughs> and as you know, Eric, I'm a big fan. Um, always have been. You're someone who I consider uh, in my arsenal Rolodex of all stars who are partners in doing this work of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the corporate tea, I feel like, is about podcasts. It's really about me highlighting people doing the real work. You know, as you know, over the last few months, we've become hot in these streets, Ooh. right? It is popular <laughs> to do this work. You had people who were motivational speakers. All of a sudden, they are DEI experts and being quoted in major platforms. And I really wanted to highlight people who have been in the trenches for years alongside myself and others who've been really doing this work. Um, and so I, I first, you know, you know, you and I, we were talking about this before the camera started rolling about how we even met. Right. So I'll let you tell the story about how we met, but also talk a little bit about your career and what got you to here to date. Um, because, you know, I wouldn't be the corporate T if we there are always people listening that want to know, like, how do I do a job like this? So I'm going to turn it over to you so you could talk about us and about you. Yeah, I recall us connecting at the National Diversity Leadership Conference. You moderated a panel, and I don't actually remember what the panel was about, but I'm I suspect it was about diversity, equity, inclusion. I mean, that's yeah, some the, some topic in that. <laughs> right. You know, I think it was like, was it about was it the one on like male advocacy? I don't know. It there were so many, so that there I was so many. Okay. Yeah, and, and and then I believe after that it was a panel of uh, at Southwest. It was a panel of uh, DEI practitioners talking to HR leaders. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was just another space. And uh, so you really gave me my introduction to not necessarily public speaking, but particularly panels and yeah. speaking about and trying to professionalize the work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, but I've been, you know, doing it in different, um, 
industries and organizations for uh, 20, 25 years. And when I think about how I entered the work, I, I guess it's um, interesting and interesting in so much as everyone has a different path. And that's, I think, a gift and yeah. a bit of the challenge around DEI is that there's okay. so many different paths. Sometimes we need to like, what are the paths to be a X? Yeah, and then <laughs> like I think the body of work is so varied too. You know, when right. people call me and they say, can you tell me how I can get into this work? It's like, what part of the work do you want to be an analyst and crunch numbers? Do you want to do research? Are you want to, do you want to be focused on racial equity? Do you want to be focused on, you know, parity in some way? Do you want to be focused on like, you know, consulting and, and integrated strategy? Like what part of, do you want to do multicultural marketing? Like what part of the work do you want to be doing? And I think that's one of the challenges is that people don't even realize that it is so varied, so wide, and you could be doing so much of this. And I also want to call out the fact that you sort of downplay yourself. You're like, yeah, you know, I've been with a few companies. It's like, can we just name drop for a minute? Because I want people to know, like, you're a heavyweight. Like, this is not, we're not <laughs> playing here. You've yeah. done amazing things. At the time that I met you, you were actually with Toyota and you had really kind of designed their leadership model in terms of training around DEI. Yeah. And I and I could be paraphrasing that incorrectly, but you've done some amazing things and you're a brilliant mind in, in, in my Rolodex of people that I call when I feel I'm feeling stuck. So can we just like give you a little bit of flowers <laughs> and you share just a few? Um, we can, of the yeah, I'll go back. I mean, you would let me my most recent sort of um, experience outside of my own was was uh, as uh, basically, uh, I forgot what it's called now, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, like the learning academy. Right. So driving all leadership development and training across the organization. So 40,000 team members across North America, different places and spaces. How do we build sort of leadership capacity and capability, particularly inclusive leadership capability across an organization that has, you know, manufacturing facilities, call centers, um, et cetera. Uh, so um, leading work around and visualizing work around that was was my role um, at Toyota for um, upwards of three years. And I've been in that space. Uh, as you said, there is such a multitude of what con constitutes DEI work. Um, I've been in that training and education space and leadership development space for a while, but also lean heavily into coaching, um, organizational development and design, uh, and some other, I'd say, DEI adjacent fields that I think are important to at least understand. You don't have to know them at a master's level, but at least understand the relationship uh, as it relates to human, human development and human systems. Uh, that's really what this work is about, developing people and then transforming systems. So change, change management comes into play, emotional intelligence, um, again, organizational psychology. And, does it like, and so there's some key things that you need. It's not just about, do I know what pronouns to use? Right. Or, you know, oh. and history of X groups. If that's the extent of your knowledge, then there really aren't enough tools in your tool belt to affect change. So I've really been trying to, over the past 20 years, like, 25 years shopping myself into an instrument of change that can fit into a number of different types of organizations and systems and still be um, still be effective, still be effective. But that work started, I mean, it's lifelong work of, of, uh, in terms of that extent, but I could, I could pinpoint it to a moment in really 1995. 
1995. And I say that specifically because um, it was the moment or the year that I transitioned from student athlete to student activist. I was in undergraduate um, playing college basketball and I made a choice uh, to attend the Million Man March. So I went to DC uh, and was a part of history. <laughs> uh, I, like I'll never forget that moment, uh, that experience. Um, my brother and uh, my father were, were there uh, on the lawn, on the mall. Um, I didn't see them because there were a lot of people, but yeah. just being part of that experience um, just transformed me. It shifted my thinking. I had been involved before, but that um, really changed my priorities. Sort of your awakening um, yes. in this work, right? Yes. Um, you know, you said so many things that resonated with me, um, but I think one of the things that you think you said was like transforming systems. And I think all too often, I think one of the challenges of losing stamina in this work, at least for me, has been around this idea of, uh, to your point, kind of fixing either the, the focus of programmatic work that is that is rooted in fixing marginalized people, right? Fixing you to fit into dominant culture, right? Like we, if we just give you these things then you'll be, you'll fit, right? Uh, into our culture. And then the other thing I think is just really more of um, this idea of like, if I just, if I create an action list, if I teach you pronouns, if I teach you a couple of things, then we'll sort of, sort of fix this. But what we're learning and particularly where we are in the world is that all of, at least in my opinion, I don't want to speak for you, um, is rooted in like preferences, traditions, behaviors, EQ, as you said, around um, the system of racism, really, um, that drives this. You know, um, I think racial equity is at the front of what leads to all of the subsequent behaviors. So that kind of drives me to my next point around you know, what you're doing today with Canaries, what led you um, to, to move this. I'm a big fan of, of Mandy and Star. Um, I think if, if you've been in this work, you've long dreamed of creating something similar of yes. Canaries. They just had the manpower and force to actually do it. This is a, this is really, a, this is probably a dream of anybody who does this work to create kind of a powerhouse tool like Canaries. So I'll let you talk about it, but why it is so cool that I personally know the vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion for Canaries because it, it's not it's not light work. I mean, what Canaries is doing is, is pretty phenomenal. So um, talk a little bit about that role and um, and 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 you know what you're doing to, to kind of transform based on like transforming systems and cultures. Well, that's uh, you hit on it. I was I, I left corporate initially because I just was tired of doing what I thought of as transactional work. Yeah. Um, this moment, um, not just this moment, but this moment in particular demands more than transactional DEI work. Um, yeah. I wanted to be doing transformational work and um, you know, partner uh, with clients and strategic partners who were invested and interested in doing transformational work. Um, and when the opportunity to, to join Canaris came up, I wasn't looking <laughs> for a job per se. Um, I was looking to expand my impact right. uh, and be of service. Yeah. And when I learned more about one, met Mandy and Star, I was like, okay, <laughs> this, this is a real deal. Um, 
and, and left thriving practices, law practices of their own because they had a vision yeah. um, for canaries and what it could be. And, and really what it is, as you said, it's just uh, the intersection of DEI and tech in a way that um, gives you um, people data um, and um, pinpoints where some challenges or problems are in your system in order to really provide uh, actionable strategies and interventions. Now, I say this because what often happens is we're doing a lot of guesswork uh, around where those pain points are. We don't really have data, um, right. or actionable data that we can use. And really beyond that, we don't have data beyond the D in DEI. We have diversity right. data, and right. that's really what we're treating intervention. We're creating interventions for the D. Um, right. And we don't have good metrics or a good understanding of what's required for the E, equity in the I, inclusion. Uh, and that's where Canaries, uh, Canaries comes in uh, with really the platform and the tools on the front end in terms of this, this proprietary assessment uh, and dashboarding tools to give you actionable data. It is, I talk about it as being um, diagnosis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like uh, prescribed, it's not my quotes. I, I, but I, I love it and I, I use it with clients. Prescription without diagnosis is my practice. Mm. In many cases, we are prescribing what should now, happen. You know I'm being, you know yeah. I'm being um, rooms using this quote. Right? Yes, yes. We, we, we're often prescribing. You need to put it at the bottom. That is <laughs> prescribing DEI things, okay, right? You should do this. Say prescription, prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Ooh. And there are many of us who are out here doing this work who I, you know, it, you know, it might be committing malpractice in that regard. Do we really, yeah. really know what the problems are or where the gaps are? And so this piece is important so you can understand the current state of the organization. You also want to say, what is the ideal state? What do you want to make true? That gap is where interventions fall in. Here are the things right. that we need to work on to get there. And it's a lot of work because often, as you said, it's about systems, structures, policies, yeah. practices, and culture. Yeah. Sometimes, in most cases, our culture is somewhere between tepid or toxic, and so. And in most cases, closer <laughs> to toxic. I closer mean, to toxic, right? And so you're trying to plant the seeds of DEI into soil that's not even fertile. It might be concrete, somebody. like you, like right. how, how can you do that? How? So where are we at? What kind of soil do we have for this thing that we think we want? Right. Oh, the soil. We got to till this. We actually have to do a whole makeover. And so that's the distinction between that's what Canaries allows us to do. So just to use another metaphor, I say sometimes we're not really doing uh, we as in collectively are not actually doing uh, DEI work. What we're doing is um, ID work. We're doing interior design. Interior design. We're helping right. organizations put up a new wall, new coat of paint, maybe change some some uh what do they call I, I didn't learn about this term till recently uh, window, window treatments yeah window treatments, treatments. i was like oh yeah. you mean shades you know you yeah. talking about shades right <laughs> they're like oh right. no window treatments you know move some couch around maybe make it feng, feng shui you know yeah yeah meanwhile your fan foundation not working once we get behind the walls your electricity is out of date all these things the plumbing not good all these things are happening and we just moving around some furniture. All this stuff is not working in the organization. So, um, I, and a lot of that, again, what we think is DEI work is really ID work. It's interior design work. 
Um, it's not going to the root here. And what Canaries, uh, what I'm excited about is the work that that allows us to uncover that. And then my role as the VP of, of DEI is to support what happens after we have that data. Now what? Right. Is what happens? the question what? that How my we, role is here to answer. What do we do? Clients are great to have it. And then they don't know exactly what to do next. So, and that's where the real work begins in my mind. It's like, that was collecting the data, getting people engaged in the process is one piece, but um, starting to make some changes that are um, sustainable and scalable is really the work, the work. Of yeah. The you know, this, what, all of the things that you said, you know, I could, I could probably do uh <laughs> A deep dive in there. <laughs> Listen, a deep dive, but also a church run around the building, right? Because these, right, you know, because these are the things that are most challenging in doing this work. One of the things I want to talk to you about is, um, and I, I imagine that there is a huge impact to Canaries as well, is that we were going about our business trying to figure out how do we do something different to move the needle, right? Everyone's stuck in the same place, particularly companies. And, and, and the crazy thing is that it doesn't matter how advanced you believe you are. We have newer companies that particularly in the tech space that have only been six to 10 years old, still having the exact same challenges as companies who have historically been around for a hundred years, which tells me that there is a dominant culture belief. There is a, um, supremacy issue that influences it is it is so many systems that are impacted that lead to the same outcomes right so it's not even like oh well this is old and stoic right and you know you have companies that are six years old you know and running into the same issues so I was going to say to you over you know obviously we've been doing this work and been in the trenches for years but then you know last summer was kind of a pivotal point for i would say north america the us and had some global implications too but all of a sudden everybody's awakened there are black squares everywhere there are commitments everywhere yeah. everybody yeah. is woke everybody is committing to to doing better everyone is anti racist and um how do you think that is now impacting the work that we do um, and particularly the work that you're doing at Canaries, what are you seeing as some of the things that are problematic about it and some of the things that you think are positive about what came out of, I'll just call it out, the murder of George Floyd, which I think was a turning yeah. point um, yeah. because, you know, obviously his murder was on display for, for, for everyone to see. Well, I, it's a, I, I, I probably should be more optimistic. And I, I am, I'm ultimately optimistic, but I think I'm, uh, it, it has a hint of cynicism in it. Meaning uh, I think we should be uh, excited about the fact that there has been, the reckoning has also created an awakening where there is a, a more, uh, the more interest and desire for real, real transformation to change. At least it's stated that way. Um, that people are saying we need to be doing business differently, we need to operate differently. We just don't know where to start. Um, I think that has also increased or, or, or contributed to what looks like a proliferation, right, of, of DEI-related roles. You check Indeed or Monster, Listen, whew, they're popping up. We've never and had so getting... <laughs> many opportunities, Eric. Yes, yes. So they're there. And so it's like, great. And what is the background skills or expertise? Again, knowing that people come through many ways, whether they have JDs, MBAs, backgrounds, and not even like internal, hiring internal, all the people come from different ways. And what are the skills that are needed to really drive the change that presumably these organizations are seeking? 
And are they putting too much weight on this role to be the panacea? <laughs> We're going to hire in a new CDO or a new. That's not that you, There's a lot to do there. <laughs> so, there's a lot to do uh, there. Yeah, it's work to figure out besides bringing this person in who might not necessarily have the background experience, the skills, the training, yeah. or even receipts to do yeah. the work that you think you need them to do. That part, and also, even if they do, are they going to be tokenized and put in a position where they then can't push the needle forward because what the culture itself can't be penetrated, right? It exactly. is going to, you know what I mean? So, so the, that, that's the other piece too, right? Is, yeah. Are we even putting them in a condition to succeed, even if they have the credentials? Yes, and that includes um, authority. Who do you report to? And does your word carry weight? Resources, am I an army of one? Do I have a budget? Yeah. <laughs> and, and then support, like same idea. Like what yeah. is the structures that support the work? Where is it located? Is it its own space? All these things should be in consideration for anyone thinking about going into this work, particularly at that level. I feel like this is a, a series of questions you need to ask in that process. It is not just about pay and benefits because yeah. I would say this is a position that has um, either one, a high potential for turnover or um, a high potential for sort of nihilism and apathy. It's like, well, I get in here. I, I get paid a lot to do a lot of nothing and I'll just ride that along until I feel like it's not a position you want to be in for 20 years. Right. You haven't ruffled enough feathers. You haven't, you are supposed to be a bit of an agitator, right? an advocate and an ally. But um, I, I talk about it as these roles are both the chiropractor and the conscience. You remind the organization mm. of its commitments. You're See, better here's self. another tweetable moment. Let me get, <laughs> let me go back, right? Yes, the Let me conscience is like you are you the are better the, angel. The, the chiropractor. So the chiropractor is the part that says, ooh, boo, you out of alignment. Let me hold you and crack you back. It's going to hurt, but you're going to feel better afterwards. Um, right. Holding you to account. The right. conscience is the, the better angel saying, your values, your mission say this. And mm. forget DEI, you're not living into your values and mission right, right. now. And are you okay with that, CEO? Yeah. Are you okay with that, manager? Because these things aren't in alignment with who you said you are when you were founded 100 years ago. Right. When these are about, Come on, somebody. This is about character. So this role is both is playing both of those really critical pieces, um, regardless of level. Like, you don't have to be a CDO to be doing that particular work, those two elements. Uh, and if you're yeah. not, I mean, then you, you become you part of the, you come in the fishbowl. We, we, we were founded with, DNI and our DNA, you're like a hundred years ago, that's not even possible, right? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like historically that's not possible, right? Yeah. And I, you know, that leads me to a point, you know, I I'm so glad you said that because I think one of the challenges with this body of work is, and I think one of the things that forces us to lose stamina in this work is this inability to be honest. Right. And to right to be honest, one of the things that I am often saying, and I think is one of the reasons why it makes a disruption and agitator in corporate spaces. And one of the challenges that I think you and I have a commonality on why it is so exhausting to do this work in a corporate space and why we have both, you know, um, done external endeavors, because we realize that, like, 
we're not going to fix this system wholly as a person internally. And so we have to do work outside of that space. Um, is that this this lack of acknowledgement, right? Oftentimes what I'm finding in corporate spaces is that we start the story in the middle of the story, not the beginning of the story, right? So sure, you can show me a continuum of when you started the work and all the things that you were doing and when you had your you know, first insert whatever marginalized group and when you started your ERGs. But what are... what what are our uh, acknowledgements to the system? How did we participate in the system? How have we continually participated in the system? And what are our acknowledgements there? One of the things that really pained me, and I know that it's a tough thing coming from my like witty, sassy, full <laughs> blackness self, is for, for me to say and to challenge, uh, is that the true story? Right. Because I believe like whether you're if you're in banking, what how did you participate in redlining? Right. What are your acknowledgments there? And then before we can talk about to your earlier to your earlier point around diagnosis. Right. And the malpractice of DEI is that we don't at first acknowledge. So I guess for me, what I really want to know is, you know, I think that there is this risk that people believe there is in acknowledging how are we all participating. But the only way to me to dismantle kind of supremacy and decent or dominant cultures is, is for us to have an acknowledgement about how we're participating. That's my personal feeling. So what do you think is the starting point for organizations who want to start doing the real work? What's the starting point? I mean, that's my personal belief is like, we got to figure out what the problem is and how we're participating. That's what I feel. But you may yeah. feel differently because you do this in a, your mind. Yeah, I think you're, you're on it. I mean, I, those are key pieces in that talk, trust and transparency. Right. Uh, often uh, what, what what I'm finding in my work um, is that there's the gap. There's a loss of trust, a, a mistrust, a deep mistrust between individuals, interpersonal, but like with the organization, intra-organizational, like I don't trust the organization. I don't trust the intention. And we saw that come alive, right? When we saw all of these statements come out around BLM and folk inside were like, huh? Yeah. We yeah. Heard, the first time we heard you say anything about- Right, was right now today, yeah. And so how can you be aligning on something externally when internally people are suffering or in pain? Yeah. Either you're, yeah. you're ignoring it or this is all PR or like that, and, and that further increases the gap, the trust gap um, between those. But I think a lot of it is owning up to um, the history. Um, and I would say that part of the reason that we aren't able to get there, um, I think as a society, not even just organization, but we also know that organizations are microcosms, organizations are microcosms of society. Right. We don't have the, the real skills to have honest dialogue. In conversation. So why would we expect that somehow we go to work in the place where you're not supposed to talk about what? Um, money, sex, politics, like, debt politics, and you got to add race. Like you get into certain, like, these are hot button things. You are taught, not like you learn not to talk about those things at work. So why would people expect then that when they don't have the school skills to talk about it, particularly across lines of difference outside, and you not have permission to do it internally, why would we ever expect that that would happen naturally without creating spaces and an organization prioritizing that, not saying, oh, this is this fluffy thing we do in January, in February, 
because that's when we have permission to do it, right? Um, and it's right over there. Food, fun, and famous people. <laughs> yes, right? exactly. Right. So we do it as no, we see a value in giving people the skills to have conversation without two things, without judgment and without blame. I think those are the things that get in the way of us being able to do it. How do you own the history, uh, as you said, uh, that your organization might have had or and been an accomplice to redlining without feeling like if we say that, then no. Own that that was a yeah. place in time and yeah. have ownership and control know. of a different narrative, right? <laughs> like you have control over creating a different narrative, saying that mm -hmm. is, um, that was a certain time, like whatever it is, it's a way right. to own that that builds trust. It's like, oh, okay, at least they know, they know the thing that everybody else in the room know, but we haven't said explicitly one more step towards building trust. And that happens on an organizational level. And it really, it happens, it needs to happen more on an individual level um, with leaders and managers um, expressing more um, vulnerability. I mean, Brene Brown, uh, she does all the work around vulnerability. Oh, yeah. So I'm not going to try to even touch it, but the idea here is that vulnerability is not weakness. So how do we create more human workplaces when it's all said and done? When we talk about DEI, we really are talking about Elevating the human experience, making sure that people's um, humanity, particularly those who are most disaffected um, by um, racism, like all of the isn't, like who yeah. are most disaffected in general, that they are, their humanity is seen and witnessed. Why? Because we get the most out of our people. Man. People are not performing. At the end of the day, it's about performance. It's a conversation yeah. about human performance. So you know what gets in the perform in the way of performance? Harassment, sexual harassment, yeah. migrations, racism—like those things tend to. And, and you know, <laughs> I just filmed uh, in partnership with LinkedIn uh, a course on microaggressions. Okay, why has that course in less than ninety days had a hundred and fifty thousand learners? Right? Why am I receiving e emails from Mumbai, China, Poland, not just the U.S.? The reason is, is because to you, exactly what you said, it's about elevating the human experience, right? It's because that type of oppression, that type of lived experience is a shared experience. It is one that resonates um, everywhere and one that transcends race and geographic yes. location, right? And it says to me, and actually taught me, because I thought for sure when I did this, this was going to mostly resonate North America with yeah. BIPOC professionals, and it has even blown my mind and made me think differently. And I know you've long been a thinker of in, in this space around the human experience and how to make better leaders. And I think I was just lost. I was stuck at like, y'all just can't get this DEI thing right. I mean, I, I hadn't even gotten to an elevated thinking of like how, 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 this was such a big issue around the world, right? Oh, yeah. Beyond just this aspect of like what my own lived experience was and the experiences of the US, right? Um, and now in doing this work, I completely understand everything that you're saying around how do we transform workplaces. I keep saying that I'm gonna, um, you know, my new tagline is decolonize the workplace yeah. and how we how we can, we can be on a mission to do that. Um, what is sort of one piece of advice that you can give organizations and leaders around doing this work and doing it the right way? Oof. Hmm. 
Well, that's the thing. I don't know if there is a right way. Yeah. There's a right way for your organization, and that's right. what you have to figure out. I think there are some um, milestones and measures that can guide you towards discovering the right way, but I think that is the work. What is the right way for us? Oh. I like to talk about it as, particularly because we can move more towards like the 3F approach, but really more of a programmatic approach. Right. I love, yeah, I want you to be mindful of best and next practices as an organization, what so-and-so is doing and what they got, you know. And I would say some of those things are, and I always get this wrong, some things are going to be um, O negative. I don't know. Mm -hmm. If you think about blood transfusions, there's universal blood donors. Yeah. Some of those things are going to be like, you can take that. I'm O. Yes. So <laughs> some programs, some things and practices that an organization is doing are O negative. Right. I'm not sure exactly what they are, but they're going to be some things that- That are helpful for everyone. Yeah. yeah you're like, oh, bring that to me. Like, you need to do that. Just simple. But a lot of them are actually, they, they're not going to work <laughs> because that your culture, your place, your body- we think of the organization as an organism is different. Right. And so you can't just take something from somewhere else and plop it into yours. It's like, oh, they're doing a great thing over there. Let's do that. No, you have to figure out what is right for your environment, for your place. And I think it, I, I still like start with why. Yeah. I don't think organizations why. clearly enough, they don't clearly communicate from the very beginning in order to enroll people in the change process. Why? Right. And I would say the other part that in ways in which sort of DEI practitioners, professionals are complicit is that we don't help organizations link um, the why to um, business results and business performance. Really, right? It's like the why should be connected to the thing that the organization is there to do. Otherwise, diversity, like this work sits on the margins as the fluffy stuff on the side. Exactly. Not and, and our, our business, like whatever. If we're for profit, it's driving profit, performance, like these are the things that are going to make us a better organization. We don't, we, we're not good at telling the story or helping organizations close the gap. This thing is not yeah. some other fun thing to do for a little bit, um, a flavor of the month. If we want to get here and be this significant impact, um, whether a for-profit or non-profit, whatever we want to do, this thing is going to help us get there. If we can't help organizations tell that story, then we've lost our credibility and our power in it yeah. as well. That's 100%. And I, you know, one of my biggest sticks that I carry is like this idea of how we tie all of this in as integrated strategy. You know, mm -hmm. oftentimes when you or I are called in as a consultant, the first thing people want to do is start ERGs. And my question is, why? why? You know, one of the things that I explain to people is like, those are living, breathing organisms. These are the people. And if you start ERGs without the why, if you start ERGs, without an understanding of what your DEI strategy is, then you will not be able to pull them back. And they will tell you and drag you to where they want you to go. And in most cases, that is not aligned with your business outcomes and the things that you want to drive. Um, but if you look at the start of many major companies, they all started with like some sort of network or ERG. And that is one of the reasons that is problematic. But I won't go off on a tangent. Let me, let, me, let me just follow up on that because I think it also goes back again to our role, uh, the ways in which our credibility has been reduced or our profession has not been fortified. Because um, I, I, I venture to guess that when you call upon a marketing consulting, a marketing professional, or you call upon in your individual life, a financial advisor, you're not telling them what you want to do. Right. Or what you think is the best. You don't say, I read this article in H, H, Harvard Business Review. Can I do this? 
you're leaning into their expertise, their mm -hmm. formal knowledge to get things done. Whereas I often find people are kind of telling me what they think they can help me do this thing that I already think we should be doing because do you know how either many... somebody else is doing it or I read something about it or it was on a television show about this. <laughs> can we, let's do that thing. That's I'm like, no. Nope. Do you know how many calls I've gotten, you know, trying to poach me and say, hey, I'd like you to come to my organization in the first, first meeting that we have, they tell me all the things they've already decided, all the things they'd like me to be working on. It's what they're and, and and so I already know what this is, right? Yes. And you're welcome to have it back because this isn't <laughs> gonna work for me, right? Yeah, this is such a this one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on is because I think you're such a a hidden gem in that your mind is so brilliant in this space and you really get it, and there are not a lot of people like you, <laughs> Mr. Eric Polite. I'm so I'm so glad you took the time to like have this conversation with me because you often remind me that like I am not crazy in this work and that I the things that we're seeing. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Before before we go, because um, I don't I don't want to belabor the point. You guys get it. We're about this real work, and there are so many things um, that we can be doing. Um, let's talk about wake up and lead. That that's what is kind of next for you. Tell us a little bit about it. Um, and, and how we can support it. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, more recently, what I've been discovering is the, 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 really the importance of, and the literature bears this out, just the importance of um, first level or frontline managers. Um, in terms of driving culture and the experience that individual contributors have is largely connected to their, um, their manager, their direct manager, supervisor, and or the talent development, people development um, structures that are in place in a job, many of which your manager is responsible for sort of connecting you to and driving. Uh, so um, Wake Up and Lead is really a community of practice focused on the experience, building um, inclusive, conscious, really kick-ass managers. Um, we need them. This is a group that has um, an incredible uh, role in terms of their interactions uh, and their impact is is great, but they get the least amount of resources. They're often moved into a position from an individual contributor without any training or support. Yeah. But they had, in terms of the work around building inclusive organizations, um, really responsive places where people can, again, be and bring all of their wisdom, gifts, and talents to work every day. I, I believe that the biggest impact that I can make at this point and we can make is in building stronger managers uh, at that level. So Wake Up and Lead is going to be just that. It is a, a membership site, um, but more importantly, like I said, a community of practice for managers to connect with other managers, but also thought leaders um, like yourself. Um, I have a network of a, a number of people. It's not like I'm the guru around managing and managers. I just know uh, a lot about how to develop people, uh, have coached leaders uh, consistently over the last five to 10 years. And then I just have a network of people who I think I have a lot to share. So uh, there'll be courses, there's community, um, there's challenges uh, in there. It just is a suite of things that provide consistent practice, feedback, and support that in a way that a, a, a training in itself doesn't do. You do a one-off training, you're gonna forget half of it um, by the time you, you leave it. This right. is about building, continually building 
being on yeah. a learning journey that gets you to a place uh, of, you know, becoming really the, the manager, your, your team, uh, if not, you know, the, the world deserves. We need yeah. better managers. So we that's need, what it's about. We need better managers. We definitely need better managers. So I'm excited and I can't wait. I hope I'm one of the people you call and tap on. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. We'll follow yeah. this up right away. <laughs> <laughs> so last but certainly not least, I told you I was going to get on you. Eric is one of those, I say hidden, I've said hidden because he hides. He's, he's you know, you ever read, read the book Quiet? He is a, he is the quintessential quiet, uh, amazing um, leader, but he, you know, it's hard to find. So where can the people find you? This will put you on the spot <laughs> to make sure that you're out there. Where can, can the people follow you um, and, and get your insights uh, so that they can stay connected? Yes, uh, it's simply both for Instagram and for LinkedIn. LinkedIn is largely where I play is Eric Polite in the number two. So I am the second, Eric Polite the second. So it's just Eric Polite all together and then the number two. And then similarly, you can find me uh, on um, the interweb at uh, ericpolite.com. Yeah. And as you guys know, you can always find me on uh, every platform as at, at the corporate T forward slash the corporate T on every social platform. Um, you can also find this podcast streaming on all major podcast platforms. Um, Mr. Eric Polite, we thank you so much uh, for your time and, and of course, for um, bringing your gems. Um, and I really appreciate you. And as you know, you still my brother from another mother, and I hope you'll come back soon to talk about uh wake up and lead and, and some of the you know um, work you're continuing to do sounds great thank you very much 